I want you to open up in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We've been occupied in this latest series of messages from Romans 12, 1 and 2 under the title, Living as a Sacrifice. Living as a Sacrifice. And by way of a bit of review, let me remind you that from the first message, we learned what it means to be a living, holy, and acceptable sacrifice, as Paul has taught us in Romans 12.1. We spent a great deal of time talking about that and learning what that really means for our lives. There we spoke of the exhortative prescription, which Paul commands all believers to do in their relationship with God. And from verse 2 of Romans 12, we've spent several weeks learning the ethical practicality of how not to be conformed to this world. And as you remember, we approach this first by giving you three dimensions or three battlegrounds in which that conformity to the world takes place. The flesh, or what I refer to as remaining sin, the devil, and then thirdly, the third battleground, the world and its evil system. And this is precisely where the intense battle with our temptation to be conformed to the world is primarily waged. And that's why I've taken a great deal of time to go through this very practically to arm us with things that we need to know in order not to be conformed to the image of this world. If you remember, I started telling you about several categories where we might often find ourselves in the Christian life as it relates to our remaining sin. And as it is, respect, it is respected to our battle with remaining sin, we are constantly engaged, constantly engaged in a struggle with our sin, which seeks to render us powerless to do good works and to live lives that please God and that please others. And I listed a few of those categories at least, many, many more than I could go over in any series of messages, which our minds, even regenerate though they may be, are repeatedly bombarding our consciences. And until we come to the category that I listed where we admit that we know ourselves only too well, and we further admit that our own indwelling sin must be mortified until every last vestige is eliminated right before we're transported to glory, we'll continue to struggle with this remaining sin in our lives right up until the very end. And we also, for a couple of weeks, if you remember, have very briefly attempted to understand the various devices of Satan the arch enemy of our souls. And I gave you several of Satan's devices which are, God's, uh, which are against God, and God has given us, in His Word, precious remedies against Satan's devices. And we went over that in great detail. And last time, we came to this third area of the battleground for our souls, and that is the, the world and its evil system. We saw how to respond to these masterminded plots of the evil one with five biblical means in which to overcome the world and its evil. And I regret that we don't have more time to go over 
all kinds of more biblical and practical data in order to fight the devil and his hosts, but we must move on. And I want to emphasize again, however, that because it justifies repeating in my mind over and over again that we're not talking in this battle that we find ourselves in in the Christian life about believers in Jesus who are mindlessly traversing down easy and comfortable paths. That's not a right picture of the Christian life. We face the world. We face the devil. We face our own indwelling sin. And it wages a fierce battle within our souls. These principles, these ideas, these thoughts are of immense proportions with epic implications for us. We have to do everything we can to relentlessly pursue the path that God has us on as believers in Christ so that we are constantly on our guard. And it's the very thing that Paul addresses here in Romans 12 too. Look at it with me. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says we are to fight against the schema of this world. That's the very word he uses here. The schema of this world. We, as Christian people, must be continually pursuing the spiritual transformation of our minds by being renewed day by day through God's holy Word. That's the only way we can stand against the schemes of this world. That's the only way. You are not armed properly if you are not immersing yourself freshly and daily in Scripture in a myriad of, of ways in order to withstand the schema of the world. And positively, he says here, not only negatively to be conformed to this world, don't do that, but positively speaking, proactively, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I would submit to you that this is the key to all of the Christian life. Given to us in one phrase. You can sum everything up in this. Because how do you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? How do you love your neighbor as yourself? How are you not conformed to the image of this world? Fill in whatever particular question you may have. How may I do this? How may I do that? How may I stay away from this? How may I avoid that? It is as a result directly of having your mind in a renewed sense, day by day, transformed by the Word of the living God. And we resist the pressures to be deceivingly conformed to this world's evil system, even when we're not gunning for it, even when we are not proactively pursuing this conformity to the world, even in the midst of our attempt to minister the Word of God to people who might be critics or people who are said to be close to the kingdom or people who are struggling over their sexual lives or whatever it may be, the only way to do it is by positively and progressively being renewed within our minds by the Holy Spirit through the Holy Word. 
turn back to Romans 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 24. We'll read verses 24 and 25 and then verses 28 to 32. Here's the mind of an evil person. God gave them up, Romans 1, 24, in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. Paul says to do what ought not to be done. This debased mind, he says, is filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. There are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And even as your pastor, to be on your guard, to be ready to be available to see what those wily darts of the evil one are that come to us and at us. Can you see the contrast between Romans 1 and Romans 12, 1 and 2? The debased mind and the mind that's to be renewed couldn't be clearer by its contrast. Listen as one commentator writes about the contrast between the depraved mind and life of Romans 1 and the renewed mind and life of Romans 2. Mercy instead of wrath, sacrificing their bodies instead of refusing to glorify God, offering the body to God instead of dishonoring the body through sin, reasonable worship instead of worshiping idols, a renewed mind instead of a reprobate mind, approving the will of God instead of rejecting the ordinance of God. Those are those contrasts. This, my beloved friends, Romans 12, 2, this concept of being transformed by the renewal of your mind is a positive command. It's an imperative. And it says to us this, as the evil world is attempting to squeeze you into its mold, into the very schema of itself, you must, with every fiber of your being, under the power and control of the Holy Spirit, combat the world's sensuous schemes with a positive, progressive renewal of your minds through the illumined truth of Scripture. And when he says, be transformed, that word transformed is the word in which we derive our English word and concept, metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. We could say it like this. Instead of being schematized by the world, you are to be progressively metamorphosized by the Word. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. Don't be schematized by the world. Be metamorphosized by the Word. That's our task. That's our command. That's our obedience to God. By the way, the only time that this word for metamorphosis, as I've mentioned it, is used in the Gospels, it's used when referring to Jesus being transfigured in front of His three disciples. Matthew 17 and Mark 9. His transformation was literally seen as a transfiguring where His body was changed before the eyes of those, those disciples, which sent Peter, by the way, upon seeing that very transfiguration to say and to do, let's build a temple. This is worship. This is beyond anything I could ever grasp. 
This is so holy, we're on holy ground. Let's build three tabernacles. It was that holy. That's at least in some sense what Paul's driving at here when he's talking about being transformed, being metamorphosized by the renewing of your minds. Our transformation is not literal like that in this life, not like Jesus, not in the same sense as he was transfigured on the mountain, but it is no less a Greek word and a concept that the New Testament writers used to describe the spiritual transformation of our entire characters. That's the point. What happened to Jesus on the outside, because he was already fully perfect on the inside, was no doubt to show the disciples that he is God and that it would be recorded for us to show our gradual inward transformation and the need to progressively be so, so that one day our bodies would be like His glorious body. This is the step-by-step process. And for now, it is slow, and I can sure tell you it is painful, but it is yet a glorious process of inward renewal as we fight against these, these cunning tactics. And we must resist it. These schemes of the world. Douglas Moo wrote in a wonderful book called Putting the Renewed Mind to Work, said this, very wise, the Christian can reduce the power of the secular in his mind. He can do so not necessarily by cutting himself off from the secular world, although it is understandable why many Christians say that television, for example, presents so powerful and dangerous an influence that it might be best to avoid it altogether. Rather, what is important is that he be careful, this Christian, the Christian mind, be careful to expose himself to Christian resources that are able to mold his mind. Hear that transforming idea? Molding his mind. He should avail himself of scriptural teaching in a variety of forms. God's Word possesses the power to change one's thinking, to to develop a distinctly Christian mindset in a person. But that cannot happen unless he places himself in an environment in which the Word is prominent. Daily study of Scripture, participation in Bible studies, regular church attendance, reading of Christian literature, even listening to Christian music, all are part of that environment. That's why I spoke about these CDs. Immersing your mind in all things Christian. Then he says, then armed with a biblical worldview, the Christian can evaluate the other influences about him. We're not saying that you're not going to be influenced by stuff in the world. We're in the world, and so therefore there are going to be influences all around us at all times. He says the Christian can evaluate other influences about him. Paul told the believers in Colossae to let the Word of God dwell richly as you teach and counsel one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. That Word, he says, will be able to dwell in believers richly only if they come in contact with it constantly. It's true. But you might be saying, exactly how do I do it? How does this metamorphosis, this transformation take place? Well, I want to talk, just, just introducing it in a few moments, maybe four or five minutes this morning, and then the rest of it next time, to this idea that the transformation that Paul is talking about here in Romans 12:2 is twofold. If you want an outline, it's twofold. Number 1, spiritual transformation takes place by inward renewal. Spiritual transformation takes place by inward renewal, and secondly, spiritual transformation takes place by intense testing. Here's the inward renewal. He says, "Be transformed by the renewal of your mind." 
Notice how he says that it's by the renewal of your mind. That's the instrumentality. That's the way. That's the means. You want to know how to be transformed? It is by the renewal of the mind. And you want to know how to be spiritually transformed? He says, secondly, you do it by testing. Intense testing so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me just initially say that this spiritual transformation, as he is talking about here, this transformation occurs by this inward renewal in two ways. An initial renewal, an initial renewal, and a continuing renewal. That is to say that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, takes a non-Christian, a pagan person, a person who isn't going in God's direction, all of us who would know now Christ by faith, we were walking in a direction that wasn't godly, no matter where we are, no, no matter where we were in our path of development, and it was the Holy Spirit Himself who initially opened our blind eyes and guided us to the person of Christ, to the sweetness of the gospel, and then took us in a continuing renewal sense into the path of the Christian life. And that is the role of the Holy Spirit, to renew us, to come to the gospel itself, and to renew us to come to be progressively transformed in the Christian life. You want to see some passages on that? Turn in your Bibles to Titus 3.5. I'll show you this, this initial renewal. Very, very important. This is, this is what God wants us to know regarding not simply the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but what is true about us. What is true about us. This is, this is what happened to us in the initial part of the gospel coming to us. This is, this is the initial point of the transformation. This, this is how it takes place. Titus chapter 3. Look at verse 5. He saved us. God saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And this is that instrumentality by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, none of us say, well, when I decided to become a Christian, we know what we mean by that on the human level. We know what that means on a human level. Yes, you placed your faith in Christ. You repented of your sins. But what was happening on a spiritual level, on a spiritual dynamic, was that the only reason you were doing that, placing your faith in Christ, repenting of your sin, was because God was doing it via the Holy Spirit's work of renewing you to even be aware of your sin, to even be aware that repentance was a gift of God, to even be aware that there was such a thing as believing in Jesus Christ so that you would be delivered from your sins. That's the Holy Spirit's work. And he does that work, and that's an initial work, and that's a work, work which comes from him and not from us. That's this initial renewal. And that's exactly what Paul is describing in Romans chapter 12. That's got to happen first. So he implies from Romans 12 too that this renewal, this regenerating work at the initial point of your salvation is the only way that you can ever hope to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Look at 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 verse 1. We alluded to it last week. This is an amazing verse of Scripture, and it tells us something very, very clearly about this process of this initial renewal by the Holy Spirit. First John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, notice this verbal idea, has been born of God. The only way that you believe in Jesus Christ is because you have been born of God. He has regenerated you. He's opened up your eyes. 
He's opened up your ears so that when you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, it's because the Holy Spirit has caused you to be born again. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. This is the renewing work of the Holy Spirit initially in our salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us similar idea. This is, this is God's work in us. This is how we come to a place of even believing in Jesus in the first place. Some of you have wonderful testimonies in which you describe, I was walking down a wicked path and the Lord just stopped me almost like it was Paul on the Damascus Road. I was going in this direction. I wasn't loving Christ. And then I saw the gospel for what it really was and Christ delivered me from my sins. It's because the Holy Spirit opened up your eyes. This section in which Paul is talking about wisdom, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, Yet among the mature... We do impart wisdom, although it is not wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. They didn't understand the, the secret things of God, the hidden wisdom of God. If they had, Paul says, none of the rulers of this age would have crucified the Lord of glory. They'd really known if God had really opened their eyes they would have understood, I'm crucifying Christ, the Lord of glory. What am I doing? But as it is written, he says, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. Beloved, that is not talking about heaven. It's not a reference to heaven. Sometimes you hear this verse quoted at a funeral service, very popular, as though this departed, beloved individual has now received the, the, the very promise fulfillment of what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him that's not what that's saying that's not even the, the right context in fact verse 10 these things God has revealed to us through the spirit living beings not just dearly departed the spirit searches everything even the depths of God this is this is a great chapter on the Holy Spirit and his revealing of the wisdom of God to us for who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. He's saying, if you're not a natural man, you're a spiritual man and you're a spiritual man because the Holy Spirit has taken God's very wisdom and applied it to your life, opened your life up. You saw things for what they really are. You become a spiritual person and now you you actually communicate with spiritual thoughts and in spiritual words. You're not a natural person anymore. You don't act in the natural plane. You act spiritually. Why? Because the Spirit of God has opened your eyes to do so. The Spirit of God doesn't open your eyes to do so. You're walking naturally. You're thinking natural thoughts and you're speaking natural words. And that's why when somebody comes along, and even if it's an unwitting dupe uh, for someone like me, you still must have compassion on that person because you say about that person, they're speaking natural thoughts with natural words because they don't have the Spirit of God residing within them. You're not haughty. You're not proud. You're not arrogant. You have compassion on people like that because you know they are operating in the natural dimension. 
They don't have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is not reigning and ruling in their hearts. He's not transferred them out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the light. And because that's the case, we say to the brothers and sisters within our fellowship, have compassion on them. It'd be so easy just to write them all off. And while at the same time they're vile and wicked, that's why Paul says in Titus earlier than that chapter 3, remind all of the brethren in the churches to submit to those godly authorities over them and to remind them that that's how we once were. We were just like that. And it may not have been to that degree, and it may not have been on a television program, and it may not have been thrown to the four winds of the world, but our vile, wicked heart needed to be renewed. And it's only renewed by the Holy Spirit. If you're in 1 Corinthians, turn just to 2 Corinthians, and you'll see it in chapter 3. This is the Spirit's work. This is the inward renewal that begins anyone's Christian life. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. We don't have sufficiency in and of ourselves. Our sufficiency is from God, he says. Verse 5, who's made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Paul referring to himself and his companions. And he says, not of the letter, of the, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. To give life. Verse 15. He says, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. We could say that today. A Jewish synagogue. When Moses is read in those synagogues, a veil remains lying over their hearts. But look at verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And who does that happen by? Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. The Spirit is the Lord. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. See, there's bondage without Christ. And the Lord, the Spirit, He brings freedom when He takes the veil away. Now, that's that inward renewal. That's, that's what Paul is implying in Romans 12 too. But actually, he's really looking past that inward renewal to the continuing renewal. What I've been saying is you continually are renewed by the Word of God as you continue to read it and study it and meditate on it. That's, that's actually presupposing that inward renewal, what Paul is saying here. And I want to show this to you very, very quickly. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to quickly, quickly give you some verses that show you this. This is this, is this inward renewal exactly based on what Paul is talking about here in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Chapter 4, verse 22. He says, we assume, verse 21, that you've heard about him, that you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old man. It should be the word man. Put off your old man, which belongs to your former manner of life. In other words, he's talking about something that you were, not something that you are. And this former manner of life is corrupt through deceitful desires. And here's what we are to do. Verse 23. Here's what he tells the Ephesians and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. There it is explicitly stated. And to put on the new man created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Just as you have put off the old man with his deceitful desires. 
So you're to put on the very practices and habits of the new man created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And he even talks about the new man. Anakinos, the idea of newness, freshness. That's what's happening in a believer's life when initially the Holy Spirit comes in, takes out that heart of flesh, uh, that heart of stone, puts in the heart of flesh, and that heart of flesh begins the process of daily renewal. Well, what's going to happen if in that process of daily renewal, a person doesn't avail themselves of their Bible, they don't come to church regularly, all the things that Dr. Moo was saying as I quoted him, what's going to happen? You're going to be ready for the battle? You're going to be ready for the task? You're going to be able to wage the war victoriously so? No, I suspect you'll still be applying some of those former manner of life issues. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, verse 9. This is a parallel text in many ways. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. He says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old man with its practices and have put on the new man, which is being renewed. There's that word again, renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So you don't have to any longer be conformed to the image of this world, but you, with the practices that are consistent with the new man, could be progressively renewed in knowledge after the image of your creator. You remember Romans 1? It says that a person who has a depraved mind is actually worshiping the creature rather than the creator. And for you and me in the Christian life, we've been renewed by the Holy Spirit so that for the first time in our life, instead of worshiping the creature rather than the creator, we could actually worship the creator again as he desires to be worshipped. As he must be worshipped. You see, you're worshipping something. Everybody's a worshipper. Everybody. And you're either worshipping idols or self or coarse humor. Or you're worshipping Jesus Christ. The creator of the world. The creator of our souls. And you are progressively learning how to worship him even in better ways. Because you're being renewed in knowledge after the image of the very purveyor of all Godly knowledge and wisdom, and that's your creator, Jesus Christ. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, which, by the way, is John MacArthur's favorite verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. That'll get you to turn over there. Chapter 3, verse 18. And he says, and we all, and this is where I left off when I quoted that very passage, verses 15 to 17, then verse 18, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's progression. And who does that come to us from? For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You see, that's continuing renewal. There's inward renewal. Takes out that heart of stone, puts in that heart of flesh. And then there's the progress of continual renewal. And he says that if we have that unveiled face, the Holy Spirit brought the light of the gospel to us. The veil was removed. We saw things as they really were. We believed on Christ. The life of the Spirit is now in us. We're now free instead of in bondage. And we all with this unveiled face now behold the glory of the Lord. And we are being transformed progressively so into the same image. What image? The same image as the Lord. From one degree of glory to another. It's a great classic text on continual renewal by the Spirit. And he even says in chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 3, 
of Corinthians. He he outlines it again. He says in verse three, and even if our gospel is veiled, using that that metaphor again, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. And why is that gospel veiled to those who are perishing? What's the reason? What's the cause? Look at verse 4. In their case, those who have their, their understanding veiled about who Jesus Christ really is in the gospel, in their case, the God of this world, that's Satan, that's the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Look at verse 6. But you know what God does when He takes the veil away? It is God who said, just like in creation, let light shine out of darkness. Just like creation, it's true with recreation spiritually. Just as God said, let light shine. And the creation itself came into existence. Light itself, birth, which had never been there before. He says spiritually in the gospel in someone's heart, let light shine out of darkness and it has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Wow. Just as God could speak creation into existence with a word. Light. And light comes. He says with regard to the gospel in the veiled dark hearts, Christ, Christ comes into that life. That, my friends, is powerful. You say, that's my experience. That's what happened to me. And yet, would you not go on with the continuing renewal of the Holy Spirit? Would you not continually allow the Holy Spirit to renew your mind? How How foolish for someone to say, well, I'm a Christian now and the Bible, church attendance, reading, listening, meditating. I've heard people say ad infinitum, ad nauseum. I don't like to read. I don't like to read. How can a person say he's a Christian if he doesn't like to read? Because what is our Bible for? To be read. And I'll normally, graciously, not just like that, I'll normally Graciously say something like, what about the Bible on cassette? What about the Bible on tape? What about the Bible on CD? And usually the response of someone like that, because that's a spiritual issue, is something like this. Well, I don't normally do that because I'm, you fill in the blank, too busy, too busy. Look, there are only so many things you can say. And there are only so many responses you can give. Find out whatever means, whatever avenue you can have the pure intake of the Word of God in your life for continual renewal by the Holy Spirit so that you can fight against the schemes of the devil until you come to the place where you say, I confess my sin. I confess that I haven't availed myself of the Word of God. Written, spoken, listened, poems, writings, Christian music. Christian literature, whatever it may be and whatever form it takes, this is Jesus Christ taking off the veil through the agency of the Holy Spirit so you and I can see the gospel. And so then in the living out of the gospel in our lives, we can see the Holy Spirit renewing our minds day by day so that we can stand against this conformity to the schema of the world. This this inward renewal is so important that we're going to have to spend several more weeks talking about it. Because if you miss it here, then you miss the essence of all there is. We dare not miss that. 